board in the military is something that's always very important to me. People wanted to ask me how my, my child wants to be a catcher. What do I tell them? And I said, catch every ball. And in life, isn't that the way it is? I spent two years in the service, and I was proud to be part of it. I wore that uniform with a pride and dignity, just like I wore the Dodger uniform with great character and love. The greatest name in the history of the Cleveland Indians franchise, Mr. Bob Feller. Today we are pleased to be joined by Mr. Bill Tunnell. Bill Tunnell served as the former executive director of the USS Alabama Battleship Memorial Park. Representing the USS Alabama, the ship that Bob Feller served on in the Atlantic and Pacific theaters in World War II. Thank you very much for joining us on the American Valor podcast, Mr. Bill Tunnell. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, uh, I was just over on Bob Feller's battleship today. So it's, uh, it's nice to be able to remember and talk about him when uh, I just came back from that incredible adventure. If you could, um, we'd like to hear a little bit about yourself. What's your story and how did you get involved with the USS Alabama? Well, I'm, I'm just a... Uh, a child of the of the late World War II era. Uh, my uh, I was born in November of '45. Obviously missed missed the war, but my dad was was in the Navy and uh, uh, grew up. In, my parents were from Mobile, Alabama. We grew up in Mobile. I grew up in Mobile for first five years, and moved up to a small town called Andalusia and lived up there for 20 years. Went to college in in uh, Tennessee, to school by the name of the University of the South in Swanee, Tennessee. Actually, uh, surprisingly enough, uh, majored in America in, in history with an emphasis on American history. And of course, who would ever thought that 20 years after I graduated, I'd actually be in a position where I was using that degree to, to some, some uh, usefulness. But uh, I, um, after graduation, I went to uh, law school for a, a year, went to uh, into the banking business, stayed there for eight years. Then I, I ran Holiday Inn Hotels for 10 years, uh, then was uh, hired to represent the city of Mobile, Alabama for as its director of tourism and special events. Uh, did that for four years until the battleship USS Alabama, Alabama had hired or called and hired me with a phone interview. And uh, actually that's a little misleading because I'd actually been the only civilian ever interviewed for the executive director position there. Went to work there as a director of marketing and public relations. And then four years later, my, my predecessor or my executive director was dismissed. I was hired as interim director. Then in 96 or 97, I was uh, made permanent director, stayed there a little over 19 years and uh, had a great opportunity to run in and meet a huge number of American heroes, and not the least of which was one Bob Feller. Uh, actually, uh, how my involvement came from from uh, the uh, with the USS Alabama is in 1964. There was a fundraising campaign in the state of Alabama to bring the battleship USS Alabama home, quote unquote to uh, the state of Alabama. She had been decommissioned in 47. She was in mothballs in Bremerton, Washington in 1962. The Navy decided to scrap the ship. A little article in the Mobile paper on May the 1st, 1962, uh, indicated that uh, the Associated Press said that the, uh, the Navy was going to scrap the ship. 
before the end of the day, there was a statewide committee already raised or already formed to bring the battleship to uh, to Mobile, or actually to Mo- to Alabama. The majority of the people on the on the battleship commission, I mean, on the uh, the committee were actually from Birmingham. And if they could have gotten that battleship to uh, to Birmingham, it'd probably be there today. But thank God it's in Mobile. So uh, happy for that. But uh, I was a senior in high school in 1964 when um, this fundraising campaign came about. And I can tell you, kids in, in Alabama school systems raised almost $100 million, at, I mean, $100,000 at that time. And uh, that was a time where the, uh, the minimum wage was a dollar an hour and uh, you could buy a Cadillac for about 3000 So we were really excited because, I mean, we all grew up, we all were born and grew up after World War II, so we didn't know that there was a battleship USS Alabama. So, um, like I said, 64 came, money was raised, he came in, and uh, I am uh, still looking at my membership card of the USS Alabama uh, Battleship Club. I'm a charter member, just like how many other hundreds of thousands of kids. And um, and we were very proud to, to make this thing. And it says, the last on the card says, your USS Alabama now stands ready to, sign, to stand as the only memorial in the state of Alabama dedicated to the men and women who gave their lives for the ideals for which she gallantly fought. You know, that was 60-some years ago and almost 50-some, 50-plus years ago. And it's still the same today is that, you know, we're, we're so very proud of our battleship and its, its contribution to winning the war against the enemies that we fought back in 45. Can you give us a brief background on the history of the ship, uh, particularly the contributions it had in the Atlantic and Pacific in World War II? Well, we were very proud of the ship. The ship actually uh, was commissioned August 16 of 42. And, and uh, after some sea trials in the Chesapeake, she went up uh, and did more sea trials off the coast of Maine in, the early, in early 43. Then she went to the North Atlantic and to the Murmansk run, and where she was as the newest battleship in the American fleet, she actually was trying to, the plan was to hopefully draw out the large German battleship turpits out. Uh, she stayed up there for almost four months, never got the German battleship out, but she protected the uh, English and the British, I mean, the British and the American fleet's convoy from, from England over to, to Russia. And, uh, not being successful, actually, she probably was successful in her, her, her efforts, but at the same time, she came back in, in midsummer of 43, got a refit in the uh, Norfolk Navy Yard in Portsmouth, Virginia. And please don't ever tell the people of Portsmouth, Virginia, that that Navy Yard is in Norfolk. They will come, they're fighting folks there. They will not appreciate that. But uh, anyway, the, uh, the ship was refitted. She went to the South Pacific. She spent actually another almost two years out there before coming back to actually get some shore leave and some refit. And uh, after Christmas of 1944, she gained nine battle stars. Uh, her significant significance in the uh, in the South Pacific was that uh, her radar, an SK-2 radar, which was was actually installed by the the sailors on the ship at sea actually picked up a radar signal the day of the Great Marianas turkey shoot that there was a, a large swarm moving on radar about 190 miles away from the ship. Now, no other radar could read more than 140 miles. So Alabama reached out to the other ships around her 
And uh, they got no confirmation whatsoever. When, when the swarm got to about 140 miles, all of a sudden, Battleship Iowa said, hey, we can see it too. The, uh, the planes had been alerted. The, the aircraft carriers uh, sent off all aircraft. And that was the day of the Great Marianas turkey shoot, June of 44. And uh, where reports vary, but uh, most will tell you that there were oh, almost 500 Japanese planes shot down that day. And it literally crippled the Japanese aircraft or Japanese uh, Air Force from, from there for from that point forward and uh, created the, uh, the word that we know so well is the kamikaze pilots. She, uh, the last major thing that she did in the Pacific was after the, the treaty was, was signed with Japan, Battleship USS Alabama actually led the American fleet into Tokyo Bay uh, the day after that. And it's just, you know, I can you imagine being on a ship that is leading the pride of the American fleet into Tokyo Harbor, having won the war. Of course, the Alabama crew, well, they're pretty, pretty modest guys. They, uh, they said, well, we were launched on August the 16th of 42, and this was August of 45. So it only took us three years to win the war. So there you go. Good going, guys. Wow. A lot of people served on the USS Alabama in that time period. What was special about the USS Alabama? What was it like to serve uh, on the ship or just to be on the ship? Well, we had actually, I think at latest count, we had 6,322 men signed on that that, uh, actually served aboard Alabama. And it's interesting because the the normal crew complement was 127 officers and 2,205 enlisted. So Plus, we had a group of Marines on there. So normal normal crew was about 2,500 men. And uh, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of those guys over there uh, over in the years since. And, and you know, the, the, the really cool thing is that most of them walked off that ship in 1945 or earlier. But still today, that's home. I mean, I made the comment one day, oh, gosh, this is probably 15 years ago or something like that. I said, you know. If we sent out the word at seven o'clock on one Sunday night that we were going to fire up to Alabama and take her out, we'd probably have 400 guys that served on board the next morning at 700 at seven o'clock trying to get out and get on board the ship. So, I mean, there was a, just a huge, just an incredible thought of, of comradeship, brotherhood, patriotism like there's, I mean, with all capital letters and uh, these guys, they, they laid down everything to go and go to war for us. And so we can be free to sit here and talk on the, on this, this podcast tonight. And, uh, I mean, my heart will always be grateful and, and, uh, thank all of them. And like I said, my dad was one of the ones who, who, who fought as well. But at the same time, is it, uh, neat thing about Alabama? She was, uh, she was the first ship of her design. All the ships prior to battleship Alabama had, uh, had at least 12 inches or more of armor on the outer hull. Our ship designed to try to make her faster and to change the center of gravity in the ship actually had her uh, armor plate behind two rows of fuel tanks on the hull. was if it hit the, the hull, it would hit fuel tanks, it wouldn't hit the hull. After the war, we started having hull problems, and in 2002, we, we uh, had to take the water down around a battleship and uh, repair the hull of the ship. 
when people visit the U.S. Alabama Battleship Memorial Park, uh, what can they expect to see and experience? Well, it's a really neat experience because obviously there's not many American battleships. In fact, uh, if you go around the world, that America is one of the few places that still has a battle, any kind of battleships existing. We are, our ship was a member of the South Dakota class, and, and uh, four of those two, four, excuse me, two of those four ships, uh, South Dakota has been scrapped, Indiana has been scrapped, and Massachusetts and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Battleship Alabama, the only two that still exist. So you come to Battleship Memorial Park in Mobile, and it's conveniently located right off I-10, so you can see it. In fact, we always joke about it. it's probably the most recognizable symbol of the state of Alabama because there's so many people that travel across the United States on I-10, and and they'll they see the battleship and they say, oh, we must be in Mobile, or we must be in Alabama. But the reality is, is that, I mean, she's she's a neat vessel. She's uh, one of the two existing South Dakota-class battleships that are left. And just a small little talking point on the side is that it actually was going to be the Alabama class, and we were going to be the lead ship in that. And our, our ship designation number is, is 60, and we actually were going to be 57, but they wanted to build her in Norfolk, and Norfolk, uh, or the Norfolk, excuse me, Norfolk, um, Navy Yard and uh, the uh, the shipways were not available when they wanted to start building. So we ended up uh, as as Battleship 60 and, and was the last of the class coming out. But um, you come to the park, we've got 155 acres of, of uh, here's my pride, beautiful landscape land. But anyway, Battleship Alabama, National Historic Landmark, nine battle stars in World War II. We've actually got uh, the... America's oldest existing submarine from World War II, the USS Drum, SS-228. And uh, she's been there since 1969. Uh, 2001, we put her on land. So you can actually see the bottom of a submarine, which most folks have never seen a bottom of a submarine. So. But uh, Battleship Memorial Park is, is aptly named, but it also is dedicated to all five branches of the United States Armed Forces. So you're going to see Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guard exhibits there. So we've got uh, Battleship Alabama, Submarine USS Drum, a uh, couple of uh, Vietnam era uh, river patrol boats, and uh, some Coast Guard vessels as well. Uh, proud to say that representing their other services, we've got 30 aircraft uh, all the way from uh, uh, P-51 Mustang and uh, other, and a Kingfisher that actually flew off the battleship to uh, the only place in the world where you'll see a F-14, F-15, F-16, YF-17, and F-A-18. So you can come to see that, plus tanks and torpedoes and other things. It's an incredible uh, experience to come. We've uh, been fortunate that we've had more than 17 million visitors and uh, proud to say that we are an independent agency of the state of Alabama, which means that the state of Alabama created us as an agency, but it never gave us any money. We've been operating in a self-sufficient mode for since 1965, January the 9th of 65. And, and uh, that date is significant because the park actually opened 18 years to the day from the day that the battleship USS Alabama was decommissioned on January the 9th, 1947, when she was in Bremerton, Washington. So, Happy that the ship is there. Happy that uh, America has supported us so well. And, uh, you know, everybody who's listening to the podcast, hopefully y'all come on down and see us. Absolutely. It sounds amazing. As the son of a naval aviator, and uh, I read you were unable to serve for health reasons, 
What does it mean to you that you're able to find your own unique way to serve through the park? Well, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, I'm, 60, I'm 73 years old now and, and uh, was actually um, military eligible, you know, in Vietnam, et cetera. The draft board basically essentially threw me out and uh, with, with health issues. And, you know, so there's always been that lingering that I didn't do my part. And uh, uh, going to the battleship in 1991 and then taking over as executive director in 96, it was, it was a great opportunity to me to give back a small amount. Obviously, I'm not dodging bullets, but at the same time, is that I'm still trying to do the best to honor all the Americans that have served in all these branches of the service. Very pleased that uh, we've got an organization here in Mobile called the South Alabama Veterans Conference and uh, or Council, and the, um, uh, the SAVC uh, is is a conglomerate of 47 military organizations and from the big boys like the American Legion and VFW down to, you know, Vietnam veterans, Korean veterans, uh, paralyzed veterans, et cetera. So, I mean, it's a broad spectrum of, of guys and, and ladies now that are represented by these, these organizations. And, and, uh, I was very pleased, uh, at a monthly meeting a few years ago at, uh, one of the uh, organizers or the, heads of the organization call and says, you're going to be there next Thursday morning, aren't you? I said, well, sure I am. Yeah, I always come. And she's so good. And to my surprise and to my incredible delight and just humble, humbleness, I guess, is that uh, they made me an honorary veteran. And uh, that's the only person that's ever been honored, so honored by this organization because of my service to honoring and remembering and memorializing American veterans that have not only from our section of the state and all over the state of Alabama, but, but, uh, for, you know, those that supported the allied efforts worldwide. And, you know, one of the things at Battleship Park that I love to do was the fact that, that any day of the week I could walk out and with over 300,000 visitors a year is that at certain times of the year, there were a lot of foreign accents. I mentioned earlier that I was at the battleship today and uh, I'm getting ready to leave and standing there in the hatch trying to walk out of where my, where I call my office is. And uh, there was this lady and she looked in and she says, uh, now what was this office for? And had a, had a nice accent. And I says, well, you know, well, this actually was the communications uh, room and, and uh, where are you from? And she said, well, I'm from the Netherlands. And of course, obviously, after talking to her and or saying thank you for being here and everything like that, it's just it was a small reminder that, you know, this ship and America's military efforts have benefited so many people worldwide for so many years. And God knows, you know, good Lord willing, we'll be able to do it for a few years and years to come. But that's the neat thing about my way to serve. I, I, you know, I was I was always the visitor that was in charge of the visitors for lack of a better word. And we always tried to make exhibits relevant. So people come on. I was very fortunate in as much as I had a relationship to world war two. Most of our visitors today have had three or four or more generations in their family that have not had the opportunity to talk to somebody that served in world war two or even Korea. So it's a, it's very important for parks like us to, relate that message and to make sure that people understand that these kids literally just gave up 
for everything, just like Bob Feller. I mean, he had a lucrative career, and, you know, he heard the news about December the 7th, called the owner of the Indians the next day and says, I'm enlisting. Now, that, that took a lot of gumption right there. But that was, of course, that's the kind of guy he was. And I'll talk about that in a little while. But still, at the same time, he said, you know, it's nice to see. We had a, had a fellow over the weekend was 93 years old, served on the battleship Wisconsin. He said from his deck, from standing on his deck, he could see the flag being raised over Iwo Jima. I cannot imagine what an incredible sight that was. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, that there's so many people that are awed by so many acts of valor that these guys have all done. And, and like I said, if I can do anything to promote that sense of American patriotism, then that's what I'm all about. And that's what I've been doing for the last you know, almost 30 years now. So, you know, thank, thank you, Lord. You once said in an interview, patriotism in America is still on the rise. There's no doubt there's a strong feeling for those values that America and the ship stands for. Um, what are some of those um, values you think the ship and also the people who served on it stood for? You know, it's, I cannot imagine. I mean, grew up in a different time from World War II, but it's amazing to me that so many millions of kids said, we're going to go out and we're going to win. We're going to win for America. We're, we love our country. Uh, I said years ago that what kind, what kind of effort would it take for America to respond to that type of patriotism, to give you your safe, secure life wherever you were. And just like Bob Feller was in Iowa with in the Cleveland Indians or, or my dad in, in Mobile, Alabama, or hundreds of millions of people everywhere is that it just goes down to the fact that so proud of the in, incredible desire to keep America, America and to keep America free. And we're going to do whatever it takes to do it. You know, I, I, I said prior to, to, um, to fallen heroes of, to, to uh, 9-11 is that, you know, would, would there ever be an opportunity for America to respond again? And uh, I can tell you that, uh, uh, 9-11 came and came as a very great shock to us at Battleship Memorial Park. Uh, we were going to have a, uh, we had just had LST-325 return from, from Greece to Mobile, Alabama, uh, just a few days prior to, to that, well, actually earlier in, in the year of, of 2001, 9-11 came. And I can tell you, patriotism all of a sudden just took a, took us not a swoon. It's just like it, it rocked our world. And we had, um, we sat back and all of a sudden, instead of having, you know, 30,000 or four more visitors in the park in September, the parking lot was empty. And, uh, it's just like, Oh my God, America is just, we've withdrawn. We've, we've gone into a shell. We're scared to go anywhere. We should do anything. I can tell you is that, for the next nine months after the end of uh, the end of September, we had record attendance at the park because America came out. We're not taking this. We're not going to take it laying down. We're supporting our troops. We're going to do whatever it takes to, to do whatever. And, uh, you know, it was, it was amazing to me to see the people of America respond and not that they were uh, necessarily responding to, well, we're going to go visit, visit the battleship to show our patriotism. It's just that they were very aware, concerned, and wanted more knowledge about what was going on in the American military and what had 
those people and her and their families done. And uh, it's just like I said, it was just absolutely amazing to to see what you know. Our, we talk about Bob Feller's act of valor. Is that Bob Feller was was an incredible spokesperson for America, not during those times, but in the last years of prior to his life, it was just like America woke up to Bob Feller. Hey, wait a minute, this guy, he was the first guy to, or the first famous athlete, American uh, League baseball player to, to volunteer and, and sign up to be, to serve. And, and Bob actually, you know, his, his history was that they sent him off to, you know, to be basically play baseball and something like that. And he said, no, I want to go, I want to go fight. And so he was assigned to battleship USS Alabama and, and, uh, you know, the, literally the rest is history. Over two years of his life, of his major league career was spent on a battleship in, in Atlantic and the South Pacific. And who knows what he could have been done, had have done by then. But he was so typical. He was the guy that represented all the little guys that went. And uh, that was a neat thing about battleship, uh, about Bob's relationship. I mean, he was – he was a hero all on the ball field and in America. But when he got on that ship, he was one of the guys, and they loved him, but they were all part of the team that, that won the war. Bob Feller said um, later on in his life that his greatest victory, his proudest victory, was to win World War II. So it, it really was um, one of the most important things in his life, and it's something that everyone talks about um, to this day. And I think it's something that we're really trying to keep alive through the foundation. Are there any, oh, um, are there any memories or stories of Bob Feller that you'd like to share with us? You know, I can tell you, I've, I've, Bob Feller, it, well, I'll tell you two incidences and that, that lead up to my relationship with him is that back, I was, I was growing up in, like I said, a small town in South Alabama called Andalusia. And my best friend's dad found out that the, uh, this was the 19th spring of spring training in 19, 55 after the Indians and the and the New York Giants had played in the World Series that year and they were actually going to play a exhibition game in Montgomery Alabama in the spring of 55 well I'm nine years old and uh, you know I actually truth be known I love Bob Feller but I was actually a Giants fan other Willie, Willie Mays from the state of Alabama so you know but at the same time is that my buddy and I and our parents went to see the Indians and the Giants. And it was a beautiful day and Bob pitched, pitched a few innings. And uh, here I am, you know, nine years old watching the legend of the game play. Fast forward to 19, gosh, let's see. I went to work in the battleship in 91. We had our 50th anniversary of the commissioning of the ship in 92. So early in that year, John Brown, who uh, actually was a turret captain on, on battleship uh, USS Alabama's turret number three, big gun, 16-inch gun, six shooter shell to 2,700, 2,700 yards. And anyway, long story short, and, and anyway, Bob, uh, we're planning the uh, the reunion, and John Brown comes in my office. He said, "I need you to do something for me." I said, "What's that?" He said, "Call Bob Feller and tell him he needs to be here for this." And I'm sitting back said. Bob Feller, what do you mean? The Bob Feller? Bob Feller, you, mean, you want me to call it Bob Feller? And, and of course, he said, sure, yeah, he served on the ship for over two years. And so anyway, I called Bob, and uh, one of the most memorable experiences of my life, Bob was incredibly gracious. Uh, he says, you know, said, well, what's the date? And I told him what the date was in, in uh, April of 
I mean, August of, of uh, 92. And uh, he says, well, day before I got to be at a, I got to be at an old timers game in uh, Denver, but said I could probably fly overnight and uh, I can probably get there. Hey, probably, you know, mid morning or something like that. What time you need me there? I said, 10 o'clock. He said, well, if you can get me there to, from the airport to the ballpark, I mean, to the battleship. And I said, I can do that. Don't worry about it. So I turned around and, and uh, after I hung up with him and I called my friend, uh, Ron Wilhelm, who was assistant uh, chief of police for the Mobile Police Department at that time. And anyway, I called Bob and I said, I mean, uh, Ron, and I said, Ron, I got a, got a uh, VIP coming to town and uh, now I need a blue light special to get him from the airport to the battleship for a 10 o'clock service. And he said, yeah, yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. Who is it? I said, Bob Feller. Well, a pregnant pause in about, you know, eight or 10 seconds. I said, Ron, are you there? He said, I'm reading his book right now. And I said, whoa. So anyway, need to say, long story short, is that uh, Ron picked up Bob. They had a great relationship and remained very good friends until Bob's death. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's just like I, I can't tell you how many other times that, that Bob interacted in my life. But uh uh, two things really stand out. And uh, number one was uh, I was invited uh, up to uh, Bob had come down to the ship. We'd had him a couple of times of fundraising events and things like this. He and Ann, uh, his bride. And uh, remember one day very well is that uh, we, the first time that Ann could come and, uh, and Bob says, can we go down? I want to show her my bump. And uh, so I said, Oh, sure. Yeah, we got it. You know, and we got this picture of Bob pitching and we got all this, statistics by the bunk and uh it's all down here and uh, let's go down below it's down on second deck right one one deck below main deck and so we go down there and we walk back and we go into the compartment and there's the picture over there and the statistics everything like that and i said and here's here's bob's bunk right here and bob looked at me he says that's not my bunk my bunk was in the compartment behind this I said, yeah, but the compartment behind this is not open so this is your bunk now he said oh okay well that's all right so anyway, like I said, we had a, had a good visit there, but uh, it was nice. I was, in, like I said, uh, invited to his 90th birthday party in 2008, and uh, significant because it was uh, his birthday is on November the 3rd, and this was November the 2nd. It was a Sunday before the election and uh, uh, in 2008, and uh, I was staying in a hotel in downtown Cleveland and the, the ceremony was, was Sunday morning at over the Cleveland stadium had over, over a hundred folks at the reception and Bob's, you know, family was there. I was in, in the owner of the Indians, a lot of the Indian, well, all the Indian front office people, several Indian great players were there. I mean, it was like an all-star guy. And then they, um, and they said, you know, so, and Bobby, I've talked to Bobby Palacio, uh, who's with the Indians and still today. And uh, they said, uh, well, we're going to we want to call you up and uh, make you have you say some remarks. I said, sure. So uh, anyway, long story short, I'm sitting there and just you know enjoying myself. And and uh, here, I, here I called and our speaker, our keynote speaker today is Bill Tunnel from Battleship USS Alabama. I said, oh, good Lord, keynote. Oh, my Lord, I hadn't prepared anything, whatever. But I go up there and I get behind the microphone and here's all the cast assembled, Bob and Ann and the family are sitting at the head table up there. And, and I looked at, looked at all of them and I says, I'm Bill Tunnel from the USS Alabama and this is Bob Feller's Battleship. 
the smile on his face was just like what broken a mirror. And it was just absolutely, he was beaming. And I, I tell, you know, I don't know what, what they heard the rest that I said, but at the same time I tried to convey and they readily accepted the fact this was Bob Feller's battleship and it was really cool. But, um, you know, of course, the, the funny thing was when I walked in that day and he was there having pictures and um, everybody had name tags. And he walked in, he looked at me in the eyes and he looked down at my name tag, looked back at me. He said, nobody told me you were coming. And I thought that was a man that he was he was so aware about what was going on around him at all times. He was just absolutely amazing. We had him. I mentioned he was down, had been down at the park and uh, we were going to do a, a a ball game between the uh, the Class AA Mobile Bay Bears and the Birmingham Barons. Well, unfortunately, it rained out, but we couldn't do it. But uh, you know, the neat thing about it is, is that Bob was he was he was so comfortable in any environment in any setting, and uh, he was just uh, he was just a real incredible guy to know. Now we haven't mentioned yet you, that you were actually the keynote speaker at Mr. Feller's memorial service back in 2010. What did it mean that for you to have that opportunity to speak about Mr. Feller's life? You know, I'm it, in the big scheme of things, I'm a nobody. Bob Feller was a hero to many, many, literally millions of people who know who knew him and knew of the exploits, hopefully knew of his patriotism, et cetera. I was, uh, I was in, you know, that literally right place at the right time. I didn't have a very special relationship other than the fact that, you know, the neat thing was that Bob was so blunt and so direct is that he would, uh, he called me up at, or at, at somebody would say, you know, Bob Feller's on the line. And I'd pick up the phone. He said, Bill, Bob Feller here. Tell me what happened in the typhoon of, of December of 1944. <laughs> and the neat thing was, is that, you know, he was being, ask things about his service aboard the ship at that time that, you know, I was happy he was reaching out because he wanted to make sure that he got all the facts straight and he got all the timelines, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it was, it was typical Bob that, I mean, just like when he, I mentioned he was down, you know, earlier is that, you know, we, we had a, had a nice dinner and he and Ann was sitting there and, and, uh, you know, the chairman of the battleship commission said, Bob, would you like to say a few things? And he said, Sure. And 45 minutes later, we were sitting back and said, are you tired? <laughs> but I mean, he was just, he was an incredible guy. So to be asked to be, to memorialize a man who's, oh my God, sorry, I get a, a little emotional at this time, but he was so much bigger than life because he was America's hero. He was America's patriot. He made that great comment that he wasn't a hero, that America's heroes didn't come back. And that was the way he felt. I mean, he was very opinionated and stubborn in his own ways. But at the same time, you never doubted where he was, where he, where, what he felt. And for me to have the opportunity to stand up in front of people that I, I could only imagine how incredibly wonderful they were. I mean, you know, all the Indians fans, all of his family, all his friends. I mean, you know, Dr. Wilder is physician. I mean, you know, there's so many people around Bob Feller that just were, could have filled that role so much better than I could. And to be able to do that and to sit back and, and talk about his life on the battleship his uh, you know, his feelings about the things that he had told me, you know, it just, 
I think the thing that the thing that will always stay with me, not that day, because that day was an incredible day that we we spent in the suburbs of Cleveland and then we went back to a reception at, at the Indian Stadium the day before opening day, with snow on the ground too, by the way. But but um the neat thing was that uh I had called him. This was you know, I'll go back to oh, one funny thing I have to tell you all this is that that in 2008, when I was up there for his 90th birthday, he said we were there, as I mentioned, two days before the election, before President Obama was elected president of the United States. My hotel was going to have Bruce Springsteen and Obama performing performing and speaking in front of my hotel that afternoon. So I was trying to, as hard as I could to get to the airport before I could, as I could get out. We get on, we board the plane at 5.30 that afternoon. I'm sitting on the, on the plane and the the pilot comes on and says, we've lost all radar contact all over Cleveland. Of course, that was the exact time that Obama was supposed to, President Obama was going to speak. So I don't know if they just shut down everything or whatever, but it was kind of like, ooh, this is an eerie moment. But at the same time, it's, hey, it was Bob Feller's birthday tomorrow. What are, hey, we're going to do this. But, but the neat thing about it was is that the day, December the 8th, 2011, when the day right before Bob died is that I called, called up to, he was in hospice and I called and talked to the people that were there. And I said, you know, it's like talk to Bob. And he says, you know, he's, he's just not able to talk right now. And I said, well, I just wanted to call and congratulate him because 69 years ago today, he enlisted in the United States Navy. And there was a little pause there. And the voice on the phone says, he just smiled. And, you know, that means a lot. So at the, as wrapping up my speech for in front of God and country and, and the assembled group there in, in Cleveland that day is that I told, told them, I said, thank you from your buddies at USS Alabama battleship and the crew and from America is that Bravo Zulu job and life fair. Well done. And that was Bob Feller job and life fair. Well done. We appreciate you taking the time, Bill, to tell our listeners today about Bob Feller and his life. What can people do to engage with the USS Alabama and to learn more about Bob Feller and the thousands of other individuals who serve on the USS Alabama? Well, the neat thing about it is just Googling Bob Feller is that it's amazing. I'm sorry that the uh, his museum is closed down now, but at the same time is that uh, you Google uh, ussalabama.com and you're going to get information about our, our park and Bob, Shell- Bob Feller's battleship. And uh, like I said, 17 million visitors. And uh, we're very proud that we've uh, we generated almost a billion dollars of economic impact to this, our state. But also to, to give recognition to those World War II heroes, that, that are, most of whom are no longer with us, out of that 6,322 we estimate there's less than 200 people still alive that served on the ship. So in Bob's memory, you know, come by and see us. But, uh, remember Bob for what he was and who he was. And, uh, you know, the, the neat thing is, is that we are here and those of us that still remember need to be charged to make sure that those younger than us do not ever forget. Well, I thank you so very much. And, uh, like I said, it was a, he was a very special man and uh, touched my life in a lot of different areas for a lot of different years and uh, loved him like it was, he was here yesterday and he's 
looking down on us and smiling right now. So thank you for this opportunity. Hello, podcast listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American Valor Podcast, produced with support from an Angel's Touch publishing company, the publisher of Walk of Heroes, Profiles of Valor. Created in support of the Active Valor Foundation, this limited edition book illustrates the 37 National Baseball Hall of Famers who served in the United States military during World War II. To learn more about these individuals' lives and stories, simply visit our website at activevalorawards.org and visit shop to order your limited edition book or follow the support the show link in the notes to this podcast. We are greatly looking forward to the next episode of the American Valor Podcast featuring the 75th Secretary of the Navy, the Honorable Ray Mavis. For updates on the American Valor Podcast and the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Active Valor Award. For Tyler Buckholtz and Colin Kirk, my name is Nathaniel Cameron. Thank you very much for being part of the American Valor Podcast. Talk to you next time.